Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. And this is Bob Siegel. So, you'd like to believe in God, but you know that Christians are always teaching that when somebody dies, if they haven't accepted Christ, they will not go into heaven. Well, putting aside whether that belief is accurate or not accurate, you're thinking, okay, hypothetically, let's say it's true, or maybe a lot of you are listening right now and you already are Christians, but everybody asks this question. What if my loved ones died without receiving Jesus as Savior, and I know they didn't accept Jesus as Savior. How am I going to handle that? How am I going to go on? How can I take this seriously when my own mother or my own father or perhaps sister, brother, son, daughter, grandchild? Well, my friend, this is very understandable. As I said, all of us have asked this question. Throughout our lives, we continue asking this question. As it happens, our list of loved ones expands throughout life. The older we get, the more people we know. The more people we know, the more it increases the odds that we will witness a fair amount of deaths in our lifetime. There's nothing more heart-wrenching or more confusing than death, made even worse so when it's the death of a loved one. No words of comfort will ever take the pain away completely. Let me use Jesus as an example. Jesus, God incarnate, but living the life of a real human being, having forsaken the appearance and power of God, he's living as a real human being. His friend Lazarus passes away. Now, not only does Jesus know that Lazarus is going to rise from the dead, the great judgment, and live with him for all of eternity in heaven, Jesus knows he's going to temporarily raise Lazarus from the dead within moments. His sisters are crying over him. Within moments, Lazarus, the mortal Lazarus, is going to get up, come out of the grave. Jesus knows he's going to do this, and he still cries. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Why? Because even with the hope of the resurrection, Jesus knew that human beings were never meant to die. When somebody dies, it is a tragedy. But again, There is hope. Christians at least know that death is not the absolute end. Yes, it's a departure. No, it does not mean we will never see our friends or family members again. God created us originally for the purpose of living forever. The first human beings turned from God, bringing sin and death into the world. For that reason, all of us will die. But in his mercy, God offers a second chance, a resurrection from the dead. Body, soul, and spirit can continue to live forever with God and forever with fellow human beings. My friends, heaven is not a graveyard where we go when we die because golly, we had to go somewhere. Neither do we become angels when we die. There are angels. There are beings known as angels in heaven, but angels and human beings are different. We're not going to go to heaven as an angel. We're not going to go to heaven as a disembodied spirit. We are going to resurrect body, soul, and spirit together. Heaven is a real place where we continue to live out our lives only much more happily. What will it be like in heaven? Imagine if Adam and Eve had never been expelled from the garden and we were all just born in the garden, born in paradise, a word used interchangeably with heaven. That's what heaven will be like, a continuation of our life, but life as it was originally meant to be. 
Unfortunately, things have gotten broken up and rearranged because sin did come into the world. Mortality did come into the world, but this is where the hope kicks in. Toward the end of Jesus' time on earth, he said to his disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. For you, he says. And if I go and prepare a place for you, for you. I really want to make this personal. (laughs) He's preparing a place for you personally. He says, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place I am going. That's in John chapter 14, what I was reading from. But whereas Christians of all people should be the most comforted during a funeral, they often feel quite the opposite. Indeed, our very own theology, and theology is accurate, but our very own theology can make us feel as if salt has been poured in an already open wound. Here then is the question frequently asked to me. Bob, I'm not sure my brother is really in heaven, or I'm not sure my sister is really in heaven, or my mother, father, aunt, uncle, best friend, whatever it is, fill in the blank. I'm not sure they're really in heaven. I saw no indication that he ever gave his life to Jesus Christ. I saw no clue that she ever gave her life to Jesus Christ. Am I now supposed to assume they're in hell? All right. Now, the question, as I said, it's fair. It's very sobering. It's very sympathetic. Still, I think I can offer some good news here. There is never a reason to necessarily assume that we know where a loved one has gone. All too often, Christians think they need an answer for everything, but in this case, ignorance is bliss. It's true that people can only be saved through the atonement and forgiveness of Jesus, but you will never be sure this side of heaven where your friends or relatives ended up. You may think, you may guess, you will not be sure. Who knows what might have happened at the end of their lives when time and eternity crossed, even if you were with them, even if someone else was with them. Who knows what happened? Time and eternity are crossing. Now, on my last show, I talked about the thief who died next to Jesus. He was executed on a cross as well. He repented at the end of his life. True, this particular incident was witnessed and it was recorded, but God undoubtedly arranged its inclusion in Scripture to let us know that many such situations happen at death. Who is to say that on the verge of a person's last breath, God could not reach down and offer a full understanding of his message? What may look like seconds to a family watching their unconscious sibling pass away could be as long as months or even as long as years or seem that long for the soul drifting into eternity where time does not even exist. Maybe this is why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait Till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Ladies and gentlemen, my father passed away a number of years ago. There is zero evidence that my dad gave his life to Jesus before he died. In fact, he hated Jesus because he raised me to be Jewish. And when I gave my life to Jesus, he viewed me as a traitor. He disowned me. He pronounced me dead. He kicked me out of the house. There is zero evidence that he ever gave his life to Jesus Christ, but neither was anybody with him when he passed away from a heart attack. Like I've said, even if somebody had been with him, they don't know what's going on when time crosses eternity. But be that as it may, nobody was with him. 
If my father is now separated from God, I do not know this absolutely, and I am not meant to know, at least not yet. When I get to heaven, I will find out for sure. Either I'll rejoice to see my dad there with me, or I will discover his other destiny, that he never did give his life to Jesus, even when he met the real Jesus instead of the viewpoint of Jesus he kind of understood throughout his life that was very distorted. Should the news, when I get to heaven, about my dad be bad, I will hear the news from God, and I will be with God. I will be able to bear then what I would not be able to handle now. At that time, I will see things as God does, and God himself will dry my tears. Two scriptures to read for you. One of them is about the drying of tears. Revelation 21, John looking into the future, the apostle John, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And so, my friends, when a loved one dies, assume the best. Honor them. Remember them for their virtues. Ask God to receive their soul. Then, after praying, suspend your personal judgment. Life has enough twists and turns without borrowing trouble from an unknown future. Whatever their destiny. All will feel right and be right when you stand in the presence of our Creator. Right now, you don't know, and you're not meant to know because God is trying to spare you some heartache. Now, here's a related question. This question is even worse. This question causes even more fear and worry. What if a baby dies? A baby in my family, a baby in somebody else's family, an infant. How could they possibly have accepted Christ? They're little babies. They don't know what's going on. Are these babies going to go to hell? Ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for everybody, including babies. He died for sin. He died for sin nature in embryonic form. The question, however, is what is the connection? Where is the faith of a person that latches on to the finished work of Christ on the cross? Obviously, a baby cannot have that kind of faith. Christians usually answer with a term that you've probably heard. Well, don't worry about them. There's an age of accountability. At a certain age, God will hold people accountable for good and evil, right or wrong, whether or not they accepted Christ. And then people say, well, well, where is that age of accountability? What is it exactly? And you don't hear a real good answer. And then some people say, well, maybe by the time they're a teen, maybe by the time they're a preteen. And someone else says, yeah, well, I know somebody in the fourth grade, and he seems practically demonic in his awareness of good and evil. I suspect that with different cultures and depending on how a child is raised or brought up, the age of accountability may be personal, may be different for one person than another. But one of the reasons, as you can see here, that Christians have trouble coming up with an answer is they're not really finding this taught in the Bible, at least not in any explicit way. This was a question that was brought to my attention by one of my listeners. I'm reading from his email that he sent me. Bob, can you think of any verses that would allude to an age of accountability besides where Jesus states that the children's angels do always behold the face of the father and David going to his child that had died? David had talked when his child died that someday he would go see the child. So that implies that this baby's in heaven. It's an implication. Anyway, this person says, besides those two times, please let me know. Thanks. Okay, my friend, putting aside the blatant 
obvious observation that sending a baby to hell does not seem to be the action of a loving or just God, many Christians do believe there is such a thing as an age of accountability. And although that exact term is not found in Scripture, there are some verses about children not knowing good from evil, implying that God does not hold children responsible for what they do not know. He does not hold children responsible for what he holds adults responsible for. One of them's found in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Both of the verses I'm about to read to you are from the Old Testament, and in context, they're talking about other things. So sometimes we miss these words in passing. Obviously, in the case of Deuteronomy, it's all about the children of Israel. They're in the promised land. They're on their way to the promised land, rather. They're going to take the land. They're going to fight a battle. Anyway, God through Moses says to them, and the little ones that you said would be taken captive, your children who do not yet know good from evil, they will enter the land. The other one's found in Isaiah 7. It's talking about a couple of kings. There's a prophecy about a battle. Anyway, Isaiah the prophet says here, but before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we must also keep in mind Matthew chapter 12. This was a very important discussion. Matthew, as a witness, offers a description of a conversation Jesus was having with some of the religious rulers of his day and other people listening in, a discussion of the only sin for which Jesus did not die, or in this case, Jesus being alive, the only sin for which he will not die. He's looking in the future. That is a conscious and final refusal to react to Christ's probing spirit, the Holy Spirit, and it's appropriately titled here, The Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, The Unforgivable Sin. Now, this is a whole conversation in its own right, and I had this conversation in its own right. My show's pretty new to the CGM Radio Network. The second of my shows of this new Bob Siegel Show daily podcast, the second one was called, What is the Unforgivable Sin Jesus Spoke Of, and How Do I Know I Committed It? If you're subscribing, all these shows should be showing up. Your new one comes to you every day, but there should be a list so you should be able to just scroll back to show number two and listen in. If you're not subscribing, but you happen to be listening to this broadcast, you can go to the cgmradio.com homepage, find the Bob Siegel Show. Of course, subscription is free, so I'm not trying to sell you anything, just showing you where you can find that. So there's a more detailed discussion. But for now, since we're in the middle of something, let me just surmise what that sin is. What is the unpardonable sin? Because there is a lot of discussion and confusion amongst Christians for this too. The unpardonable sin is knowing or at least strongly suspecting that Jesus is real because his spirit is making himself known to us, enlightening us, and pushing him away because we'd rather live a life of sin. Therefore, we do not want to be enlightened. In other words, it's different from somebody saying, well, I've met a lot of religious hypocrites, or how do I know God exists? Those are good questions, and we answer those questions all the time on this program. However, there's such a thing as legitimate skepticism, and there's such a thing as disingenuous skepticism. When somebody does not want to know, 
and begins to deny the real works of Christ and say, well, maybe it's just my own mind trip or maybe it's the power of Satan or maybe it's just my imagination. They're pushing Jesus away, even again, when they know or strongly suspect that he's real, that is called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. All right, so getting back to the thing about little babies, it's very easy to see why a sinful human being does not wish to repent and will push God's spirit away. But is it conceivable that a baby who has not even obtained a sense of right or wrong could possibly commit this sin? Of course not. This is Bob Siegel making the obvious obvious. Thank you for joining me today. You are always welcome. Your questions are welcome too. The Bob Siegel Show podcast is a production of Bob Siegel and Cross Global Media. Visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com slash bob.